Chapters eighteen to twenty one of Dulcibel by Henry Peterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eighteen. The crowd drew long breaths as they emerged from the meeting house. This was the first time that the accused had fully turned upon the accusers. It was a pity that it had not been done before, because such was the superstition of the day that to have your death predicted by one who was considered a witch was no laughing matter the blood ran cold even in mistress anne putnam's veins as she thought of dulcibel's prediction and the rest of the afflicted inwardly congratulated themselves that they had escaped her malediction and resolved that they would not be present at her trial as witnesses against her if they could possibly avoid it but then that might not be so easy even the crowd of beholders were a little more careful in the utterance of their opinions about dulcibel than they had been relative to the other accused persons not that they had much doubt as to the maiden's being a born witch the serpent mark seemed to most of them a conclusive proof of that but what if one of those spectres the yellow bird or the uncontrollable black mare should be near and listening to what they were even then saying what do i think about it said one of the crowd to his companion why i think that if he who sucks with the devil should have a long spoon he who abuses a witch should be certain her yellow bird is not listening above his left shoulder and he gave a quick glance in the direction alluded to while half of those near him as they heard his warning words did the same and there was not much talking against dulcibel after this among that portion of the villagers ellis raymond had heard this speech as he walked silently out of the meeting-house with joseph putnam and a grim smile flitted over his face he felt prouder than ever of his beautiful betrothed he was not a man who admired amazons or other masculine women such as in these days we call strong-minded he liked a woman to keep in her woman's sphere such as the creator had marked out for her by making her a woman but circumstances may rightly overrule social conventions and demand action suitable to the emergency standing at bay among a pack of howling wolves the heroic is a womanly as well as manly quality and the gun and the knife as the feminine implements as the needle and the scissors dulcibel had never reasoned about such things she was a maiden who naturally shrank from masculine self-assertion and publicity but caught to confront a great peril she was true to the noble instincts of her family and her race and could meet falsehood with indignant denial and contempt how she had been led to utter those predictions she never fully understood not at the time nor afterwards she seemed to herself to be a mere reed through which some indignant angel was speaking well said joseph putnam as they got clear of the crowd brother thomas and sister anne have wakened up the tiger at last they will be afflicted now in dead earnest did you see how sister anne with all her assurance grew pale and almost fainted it serves her right she deserves it and thomas too 
for being such a dupe and fool do you think it will come true said master raymond of course it will the prediction will fulfill itself thomas is superstitious beyond all reasonableness and good mistress anne my pious sister-in-law is almost as bad as he is notwithstanding her lies and trickery do you know what i saw that lee herrick doing what was it in her pretended spasms and bending nearly double as she was taking a lot of pins out of the upper edge of her stomach with her mouth preparatory of course to making the accusations that it was dulcibel's doing but she did not no it was just before the time that dulcibel scared them so with the predictions and lee was so frightened lest she also should be predicted against that she quietly spit all the pins into her hand again ah that was the game played by a girl about ten years ago at taunton dean in england judge north told my father about it one of the magistrates saw her do it well now what shall we do they will convict her just as surely as they try her undoubtedly shall we attack and break open the jail some dark night sword in hand i can raise a party of young men friends of the imprisoned to do it they only want a leader and all of you go off into perpetual banishment and have all your property confiscated i do not care i am ready to do it if you choose to encounter such a risk for others i have no objection i believe myself that if the friends and relatives of the accused persons will take up arms in defence of them and demand their release it would be the very manliest and most sensible thing they could do but the consciousness of the people here make cowards of them they are all in bondage to a blind and conceited set of ministers and to a narrow and bigoted creed then what do you plan dulcibel's escape you know that i managed to see her for a few minutes early this morning she has a friend within the prison wait till we get on our horses and i will explain it all to you chapter nineteen the next morning antipas newton was brought before the magistrates for examination antipas seemed so quiet and peaceful in his demeanour that squire hathorne could hardly credit the story told by the constables of his violent behaviour on the night of the arrest i thought you were a quaker said he to the prisoner no only half quaker the other half gospeller replied the old man meekly mistress anne was not present her husband brought report that she was sick in bed probably she did not care to come the game being too insignificant perhaps she had not quite recovered from the stunning effect of dulcibel's prediction though it was not likely that a doom that was to be seven years in coming would after the first impression was passed be felt very keenly there was time for so much to happen during seven years but the reverend master paris's little niece abigail williams was present and several other older members of the circle prepared to witness against the old man to any extent that seemed to be necessary after these had made their customary charges and had gone through some of their usual paroxysms joseph putnam accompanied by goodman buckley came forward 
this is all folly said joseph putnam stoutly we all know antipas newton and that he has been deranged in his intellects and of unsound mind for the last twenty years he is generally peaceful and quiet though in times of excitement like the present liable to be driven into outbreaks of violent madness here is his employer goodman buckley who of course knows him best and who will testify to all this even more conclusively than can i then goodman buckley took the oath with uplifted hand and gave similar evidence no one had even doubted for twenty years past that antipas was simple-minded he often said and did strangest things not only when everybody around him was greatly excited was he at all liable to violent outbreaks of passion squire hathorne seemed half convinced but the reverend master paris rose from the bench where he had been sitting and said he would like to be heard for a few moments permission being accorded what is insanity said he what is the scriptural view of it is it anything but a judgment of the lord for sin as in the case of nebuchadnezzar or possession by a devil or devils as in the case of the garadane who made his dwelling among the tombs as told in the fifth chapter of mark and the eighth of luke that these were real devils is evident for when permission was given them to enter into the herd of swine they entered into them and the swine ran down a steep place into the sea and were drowned and as there were about two thousand swine there must have been at least two thousand devils in that one so-called insane man which no doubt accounted for his excessive violence after the devils had left him we are told that his countrymen came and saw him sitting at the feet of jesus no longer naked but clothed and in his right mind therefore it follows as a logical deduction that his not being before in his right mind was because he was possessed with devils the magistrates and people evidently were greatly impressed with what master paris had said and as he sat down master noyes who was sitting beside his reverend brother rose and said that he considered the argument that they had just heard unanswerable it could only be refuted by doubting the infallibility of the scripture itself and he would not further add as to the case before them that this so-called insanity of the prisoner had not manifested itself until he had been repeatedly guilty of harbouring two of that heretical and abominable sect called quakers and had incurred imprisonment and heavy fines for so doing to pay which fines his property had been rightfully sold this punishment and the death of his daughter by the decree of a just god apparently not being sufficient to persuade him of the error of his ways no doubt he had been given over to the devil that he might become a sign and a warning to evil doers but instead of repenting of his evil ways he seems to have entered the service of captain burton who was always known to be very loose in his religious views and observances and who it now seems was himself a witch or as he might be rather more correctly termed a wizard and the father of the dangerous girl who was properly committed for trial yesterday going thus downward from bad to worse this antipas had at last become a witch himself roaming around tormenting godly and unoffending people 
to please his mistress and her satanic master in conclusion he said that he fully agreed with his reverend brother that what some of the world's people who thought themselves wise above that which was written called insanity was simply as taught in the holy scriptures a possession by the devil magistrate hathorne nodded to magistrate corwin and magistrate corwin nodded in turn decidedly to his learned brother they evidently considered that the ministers had settled that point well then said justice putnam a little roughly to the ministers why do you not do as the saviour did cast out the devils that antipas may sit down here in his right mind we do not read that any of these afflicted people in judea were cast into prison in all cases they were pitied not punished this is an unseemly interruption master putnam said squire hathorne sternly we all know that the early disciples were given the power to cast out devils and that they exercised the power continually but that in latter times the power has been withdrawn if it were not so our faithful elders would cast out the spectres that are continually tormenting these poor afflicted persons while this discussion had been going on antipas had been listening to all that was said with the greatest attention once only had he manifest any emotion that was when the reverence had been made to the death of his daughter who had died from her exposure to the severity of the winter seasons in salem jail at this time he put his hand to his eyes and wiped away a few tears before and after this the expression of his face was rather as one of who was pleased and amused at the idea of being the centre of attraction to such a large and goodly company at the conclusion of squire hathorne's last remark a new idea seemed to enter the old man's confused brain he looked steadily at the line of the afflicted before him who were now beginning a new display of paroxysms and contortions and putting his right hand into one of his pockets he drew forth a coil of stout leather strap grasping one end of it he shouted i can heal them i know what will cure them and springing from between the two constables that guarded him began belabouring the afflicted with his strap over their backs and shoulders in a very energetic fashion dividing his energies between keeping off the constable and healing the afflicted and aided rather than hindered by joseph putnam's intentionally ill-directed efforts to restrain him the insane man managed to administer in a short time no small amount of very exemplary punishment and as masters putnam and raymond agreed in talking over the scene afterwards he certainly did seem to effect an instantaneous cure of the afflicted for they came to their sober senses at the first cut of the leather strap and rushed pell-mell down the passage as rapidly as they could regardless of the other tormenting spectres this is outrageous said squire hathorne hotly to the constables as antipas was at last overpowered by a host of assailants and stood now firmly secured and panting between the two officers how dared you bring him here without being handcuffed we have no idea of his breaking out anew he seemed as meek as a lamb said constable herrick why we thought he was a quaker added his assistant i am a quaker 
said Antipas, looking a little dangerous again. You are not? Thou liest, said the insane man. This is one of my off days. Joseph Putnam laughed outright, and a few others, who were not church members, laughed with him. Silence! thundered Squire Hathorne. Is this a time for idle levity? And he glared around the room. We have heard enough, continued the squire, after a few words with his colleague. This is a dangerous man. Take him off again to prison, and see that his chains are strong enough to keep him out of mischief. Chapter 20 Whatever the immediate effect of Dulcibel's prediction had been, Mistress Anne Putnam was now about again as full of wicked plans and as dangerous as ever. She knew, for everybody knew, that Master Ellis Raymond had gone to Boston, in a village like Salem at that time. Such fact could hardly be concealed. What had he gone for? To see a friend, Joseph Putnam had said. What friend? queried Mistress Anne. That seemed important for her to know. She had accused Dulcibel in the first place as a means of hurting Joseph Putnam. But now since the trial she hated her for herself. It was not so much on account of the prediction as on account of Dulcibel's terrific arrangement of her. The accusation that her husband was her dupe and tool was, on account of its palpable truth, that which gave her perhaps the greatest offence. The charge being once made, others might see its truth also. Thus all the anger of her cunning, revengeful nature was directed against Dulcibel. And just at this time she heard from a friend in Boston, who sent her a budget of news, that Master Raymond had taken dinner with Captain Alden. Ah, she thought, I see it now. Their name was a clue to her. Captain Alden was an old friend of Captain Burton. He it was, so Dulcibel had said, from whom she had the gift of the yellow bird. She knew Captain Alden by reputation. Like the other seamen of the time, he was superstitious in some directions, but not at all in others. He would not for the world leave port on a Friday, or kill a mother Carey's chicken, or whilst at sea, but as to seeing witches in pretty young girls, or sweet old ladies, that was entirely outside of the average seaman's thoughts. Toward all women, in fact, young or old, pretty or ugly, every sailor's heart at that day, as in this, warmed involuntarily. She also knew that the seamen, as a class, were rather inclined to what the godly called license in their religious opinions. Had not the sea captains in Boston Harbour, some years before, anonymously refused to carry the young Quakeress Cassandra Southwick and her brother to the West Indies and sell them there for slaves, to pay the fines incurred by their refusal to attend church regularly? Had not one answered for the rest, as paraphrased by a gifted descendant of the Quakers? Pile my ship with bars of silver, pack with coins of Spanish gold, from keelpiece up to deck plank, the roomage of her hold. By the living God who made me, I would sooner in your bay sink ship and crew and cargo than bear this child away. And so was Master Raymond, who, it was rumoured, had been a great admirer of Dulcibel Burton. 
was on a visit to boston to see her father's old friend captain john eldon mistress putman thought she could put two and two together if any woman could she would checkmate that game and with one of her boldest strokes too that should strike fear into the soul of even joseph putman himself and teach him that no one was too high to be above the reach of her indignation the woman was so fierce in this matter that i sometimes have questioned could she ever have loved and been scorned by joseph putnam chapter twenty one a few days passed and master raymond was back again with a pleasant word and smile for all he met as he rode through the village mistress ann putnam herself met him on the street and he pulled up his horse at the side path as she stopped and greeted her so you have been to boston she said yes i thought i would take a little turn and hear what was going on up there who did you see any of our people oh yes the nortons and the mathers and the higginsons and the seawalls i don't know all good day remember me to my kind brother joseph and his wife said she and raymond rode on what did that crafty creature wish to find out by stopping me he thought to himself he did not mention captain alden yes he went to consult him thought mistress putnam master joseph putnam was so anxious to meet his friend that he was standing at the turning in the lane that led up to his house well what did the captain say he was astounded then he gave utterance to some empathetic expressions about hellfire and damnation which he had probably heard in church i know no more appropriate occasion to use them commented young master joseph dryly if it were not for certain portions of the psalms and the prophets i could hardly get through the time comfortably nowadays if we can get her safely to boston he will see that a vast vessel is ready to take us to new york and he will further see that his own vessel the colonies rather which he commands never catches us that looks well i managed to see dulcibel for a few minutes to-day and how is she inquired raymond eagerly does she suffer much not very much i think no more than is necessary to save appearances she told me that the jailer was devoted to her he will meet you to-night after dark on the hill to arrange matters say that we get from the prison by midnight then it will take at least three hours riding to reach boston though we shall not enter the town three hours yes four commented his friend or even five if the night be dark and stormy and such a night has manifest advantages still as i suppose you must wait for a northwest wind that is pretty sure to be a clear one yes the main thing is to get out into the open sea captain alden plans to procure a danish vessel whose skipper once out of sight of land will oppose any recapture by force i suppose however you will sail for new york yes that is the nearest port and we shall be perfectly safe there still jamestown would do the delaware is nearer than the james but i am afraid the quakers would not be able to protect us they are too good to oppose force by force too good too cranky said master putnam 
a pretty world the rascals would make of it if the honest men were too good to fight it seems to me there is something absolutely wicked in their non-resistant notions yes it is no worse to kill a two-legged tiger or a wolf than a four-legged one one has just as good a right to live as the other a better i think replied master putnam the tiger or wolf is following out his proper nature the human tiger or wolf is violating his you know i rather like the quakers rejoined master raymond i like their general idea of considering the vital spirit of the scripture more than the mere outward letter but in this case it seems to me they are in bondage to the mere letter thou shalt not kill not seeing that to kill in many cases is really to save not only life but all that makes life valuable that evening just about dusk the two young men mounted their horses and rode down one of the roads that led to salem town leaving salem village on the right thinking best not to pass through the village within a mile or so of the town master putnam said here is the place and led the way into a bridle path that ran into the woods in about five minutes he halted again gave a low whistle and a voice said a short distance from them who are you strangers friends in need replied master putnam then you are friends indeed said the voice and robert foster the jailer stepped from behind the trunk of a tree into the path well robbie how's the little girl said master joseph bonny as could be expected was the answer she sends word to you sir addressing master raymond that you had better not come to see her she knows well all you could say just as well as if she heard it the brave bonny lassie i know it replied master raymond tell her i think of her every moment and that things look bright let us get out of this glooming and where we can see a rod around us suggested the jailer i like to see at least as far as my elbow when i am talking confidentially i will go you stay here with the horses said raymond to master putnam i do not want you mixed up with this thing any more than is absolutely necessary oh i do not care for the rest i like it replied his friend stay nevertheless insisted master raymond and getting down from his horse and handing the bridle rein to master putnam he followed the jailer out into an open space where the rocks coming to the surface had prevented the growth of the forest here it was a little lighter than it had been in the wood path but the clouds having gathered over the sky since they started it was not possible to see very far around them hold up there cried robbie catching raymond by the arm why man do you mean to walk straight over the cliff i did not know any chasm was there said raymond i never saw this place before master putnam said it was a spot where we should not be likely to be molested and it does look desolate enough he leaned back against one of two upright planks which seemed to have been placed there for some purpose and looked at a little pile of dirt and stones not far from his feet no said the jailer i opine we shall not be disturbed here i do not believe there is more than three persons in salem that would be willing to come to this hill at this time of day and they are here already 
and the jailer smiled audibly why how is that because they're all so damnably superstitious replied robbie with an air of vast superiority ah is this the place then said to be haunted yes poor good wife bishop's spirit is said to haunt it but as she never did anybody any harm while she was living i see not why she should harm any one now that she is dead and so brave bridget was executed near this place where was the foul murder done you are leaning against the gallows said robbie quietly and that pile of stones at your feet is over her grave raymond was a brave man physically and morally and not at all superstitious but he recoiled involuntarily from the plank against which he had been leaning and no longer allowed his right foot to rest upon the top stones of the little heap that marked the grave oh i thought you knew it said the jailer calmly i say let them fear goodwife bishop's ghost who did her wrong as for me i favoured her all i dared and her last word to me was a blessing but now for your honest business i have not long to stay i have planned all but the getting out of jail can it be easily done as easy as walking out of a room will you not be suspected not at all i think they are so mightily superstitious i shall lock everything tight after her and make up a good story about my wakening up in the middle of the night just in time to see her flying out of the top of the house on her black mare and thrashing the animal with a broom handle the bigger the lie the quicker they will believe it if they should suspect you let master putnam know and he will get you off if wit and money together can do it oh i believe that said the jailer master putnam is well known in all these parts as a man that never deserts a friend and i'll warrant you are one of the same grit my hand on it robbie and he shook the jailer's hand warmly i shall never forget their service i am a rough ignorant man replied robbie quietly but i know gentle blood when i see it what time of night will suit you best just about twelve o'clock at night that is the time all the ghosts and goblins and witches choose and when all honest people are in their beds and in their first and soundest sleep we should not be able to give you much warning for we must wait a favourable wind and tide so you let me know by nightfall it will do and now for the last point what do i pay you i know we are asking you to run a great risk the men that whip gentlewomen at the cart's tail and put little children into jail and sell them as slaves will not spare you if they find out what you have done thank god i am rich enough to pay you well for taking such a fearful risk and shall be only too glad to reward your unselfish deed not a shilling replied robbie proudly i am not doing this thing for pay it is for the old captain's little girl that i have held in these arms many a day and for the old captain himself while these bloody landsmen continued the old sailor plague and persecute each other master raymond what is that to us we men of the sea who have a creed and a belief of our own and who never even think of hurting a woman or a child but as for these landsmen sticking at home all the time how can they be expected to know anything compared to men that have doubled both capes and seen people living all sorts of ways 
and believing all sorts of things. No, no. And Robbie laughed disdainfully. Let these landlubbers attend to their own affairs, but let them keep their hands off us seamen and our families. So be it then, Robbie. I honour your feelings, but nevertheless I shall not forget you, and one of these days, if we get off safely, you shall hear from me again about this matter. And then their plans settled, Robbie trudged down to the town, while the young men rode back the way they had come to Master Putnam's. End of chapters 18 to 21